Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of a cross-purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating reconditioning and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro Reconditioning, the R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R1 Foundations. R1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offering. If maximum strength, injury prevention, and performance enhancement are important to you, Isofit's all-new Maximum Strength Kit is an absolute must add addition to your arsenal. Requiring less than seven square feet of space, Isofit's cost-saving design provides over 2,000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric-based strength exercise. Made from cold-rolled Canadian steel, Isofit's Maximum Strength Kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximizing isometric strength, peak isometric force, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, Isofit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, NLB, NHL, and UFC. Pre-sale pricing is on now. 
Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca. That's isofit with a PH. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on your purchase. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today, but they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment, because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people, people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge, you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, your host, and today I have uh, a unique opportunity to have a conversation with two good friends of mine. Um, call it a performance conversation, but it's really a life story a conversation about how our lives intersect and some of the things that um, you know we have found in in our relationships that I think the listener will find valuable uh, when they when they have the time to uh, listen to the whole story. So I'm going to let the guys inter, uh, introduce themselves. I'm going to start with uh, David Arson, who's been a friend of mine for many many years. Dave, maybe you want to just tell the listener, you know, what you've been up to in your life, where you come from, and then uh, I'll shift over to John. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott, and thanks for having us on. This is a real honor because. You've been uh, a mentor to me for a long, long time, and uh, I studied exercise science at Concordia University. You were just at the tail end of training all the teams and building a clinic there and, uh, and building up the profession, really. And then you left. You went uh, to a pro team. I, I completed my studies, and uh, 
But we reconnected later when you hosted Great Cook for a functional movement screen uh, assessment. And at that time, I was national taekwondo champion. I was competing, but I started training professional hockey players. Um, and I was looking for tools because really I was not a trainer. I was an athlete. And uh, I was just sharing the experience that I had with athletes through my own training, through my own discipline. And, and um, I wasn't training them in martial arts, but I was training them in strength and conditioning. Um, I was training with the uh, Quebec Olympic weightlifting team. I was doing track and field, plyometrics, you know, using all types of different modalities to build speed, agility, endurance, uh, and, and whatnot. And so the functional movement screen and reconnecting with you was a real eye-opener. And, um, you know, for your audience, I think, uh, you know, the reconditioning world is really about quality for injury prevention or coming back from injury or uh, performance. And for me, the, the most important one is performance. How do we perform? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, long story short, um, John was a, an athlete that uh, trained with me. I had a training studio called Pain Station. And uh, probably third, fourth year into uh, Pain Station, John was a young a- athlete and hockey player, football player. And, um, and that's how we met. And uh, eventually, I guess we'll, we'll dive deeper into that. But uh, I introduced John to you. And uh, then you had two students, two new students uh, amongst many. But no, my, my path goes uh, back. You know, I grew up in uh, Montreal playing lots of sports. Um, I discovered uh, Taekwondo at the age of 13, going on 14. And uh, I didn't look back. I trained uh, voraciously and tried to learn everything I could, um, became a national team member and got to compete internationally and then got to extend my athletic career through training athletes for about another 12, 15 years. And, uh, and now I do a charity. So um, I've been teaching Taekwondo for 30 years. The thing I love to do the most is teach children. So whether it's Taekwondo or anything about movement and being active and being healthy, um, that's what I love to do. So Champions for Life Foundation is actually an extension of that. It's helping children build physical literacy from a young age, from the age of four to eight years old. And um, we do physical literacy programs throughout Quebec and starting in other provinces as well. Um, we have leaders in about 100 schools that are delivering the program. And at the same time, we have uh, our platform and, and our physical literacy toolboxes connecting about 400 plus schools in the province alone. Um, leaders and teachers are connected to kind of quality resources that can help them deliver physical literacy programs on the ground and uh, assessment tools and the whole gambit of uh, lesson plans and, and so on. So, um, so that's it. And I guess we'll dive a little bit more yeah. into uh, where, where the connections are made. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let, uh, let John introduce himself and his sort of trajectory to where he is now. And then I'm going to circle back and tell the listeners sort of the story of how the three of us kind of intersect. But uh, John, uh, what are you doing now and where did you, how did you get there in some sense? 
Well, thank you. And, and first of all, it's, it's an honor to, to be on with uh, such esteemed gentlemen and, and professional. I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. It's, uh, it's a good excuse to get caught up with uh, both of you. And uh, just to reminisce on, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the, the past times that, that we've had and, and, and shoot the breeze, so to speak. But, uh, um, and secondly, Scotty, really appreciate, you know, what you're doing with your platform here on, on the podcast. It's, uh, you know, an extremely valuable resource for the uh, performance community. And I personally enjoy, you know, listening and, and um, you know, gaining some in, insight from, not only your guests, but from you yourself. So, uh, like I said, it's an honor to be on and, and, um, I just, to keep it brief, uh, I grew up in, in Montreal, um, in the West, West side of the uh, city in Dorval and, um, uh, went to university at Concordia. And, uh, as Dave mentioned, um, was, was an athlete back in the day. And, uh, although not a, not a great one, but, uh, I, I enjoyed it. And, and, um, you know, I was, uh, lucky enough to cross paths with, uh, with Dave and, and train under him and, and, uh, you know, was consequently, um, fortunate to really get my start, you know, with him and, and have the opportunity to get my feet wet, so to speak with, uh, you know, the high performance, um, community and, um, really, have a, you know, a great head start in, into that aspect, uh, before I started school and, um, went to Concordia university and graduated in 2010, um, exercise science with a specialization in athletic therapy. And, uh, from there, I was fortunate enough to, uh, begin work, um, with, uh, Montreal Canadians, um, for four years and then, um, was the head athletic therapist for the Hamilton Bulldogs for two years, uh, where I then moved on to my current role with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and I have been with them since 2015. It doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but I guess time flies. Um, I'm, so I'm the assistant athletic therapist with, with the Leafs. And in the meantime, um, Last year, I completed my master's of science um, in rehabilitation science and um, just enjoy, really enjoy every day going to work and i um, um, very passionate about what I do. Awesome. Thanks, John, for kind of connecting the listener. And thanks, David, for your uh, clarification of the, the history of this phenomenal human being. But the reason why I... I you know, David actually reached out to me and said we should do this, and and we talked about it actually, ironically, on, on poolside in Cancun, Mexico, about doing this. Uh, somehow, our two worlds intersected in another place. But uh, for the listener, the the story of this, it's really kind of a cool. You know, David mentioned this idea of mentorship, and this is kind of like a three generation um, relationship where uh, you know I cut my teeth in Montreal at Concordia University, and and then 
went on into the National Hockey League and, and beyond and ran into David numerous years ago and what he was doing and, you know, uh, really enjoyed him as a human being and as a character. He's a, a true, um, truly a, a wonderful spirit and human being. And I think some of the what he, he did in martial arts uh, underpins who he is, but also his family and, and all the other things that he does. And he's somebody who really does a lot of uh, altruistic work and uh, wants the best for both the clients that he works with and whether it was the athletes that he trained or the people that he worked with or the humans that he runs into now or the kids that he wants to um, to, to influence now. And one of those people was John Geller. And John talks about this, um, you know, uh, running into Dave and working at the pain station with David. But this whole story starts, our intersection comes to, and I'd like David sort of elaborate on this, this story, but David, um, um, was training John and something, uh, you know, happened and you'll, you'll ex- explain the story, but John, uh, got into a situation that was really a life threatening, you know, and, and, and sport threatening, uh, situation with a health scare and coming out of it. Um, he had some aspirations that some people told him were probably unrealistic. And he, he and David plotted a plan to figuring out how it was going to be realistic. And I ended up being a part of that plan. And John came to see me and I, and I did assist as best I could. And kind of the rest is history. I think that intersection and connection sort of influenced John and in his decision to go into athletic therapy and, and, and the like, and, and has kind of crafted a really impressive career beyond that. So I'll go back to David first, Dave, open up on why the F you called it pain station (laughs) (laughs) and then how John came walking into that space uh, one day and, and how you guys connected. Absolutely. Well, pain station, not the no pain, no gain uh, necessarily (laughs) mentality, but more the Buddhist philosophy of leaning into the points, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, we tend to walk away or run away or or shy away from the things that, uh, you know, tend to nag us or we want to avoid or go around. And uh, sometimes we just have to face it. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to face it and we have to lean into it, learn what it has to teach us and in general, it goes away. So um, it was more about facing your toughest adversary, uh, adversary which is yourself, you know, and uh, to discover about yourself. And, uh, you know, we didn't pride ourselves on having a bucket in the corner of the room and you had to do these insane workouts. And, and I'm sure that happened a few times, but, you know, we've all been through that. And, uh, but and no, there was no, um, there was no, the last thing we wanted to do was to hurt our athletes or, or to be hurt, you know, but was to face our challenges and to, to go full force. So um, at the time John was training, uh, I think he'd done a summer and then his second summer um, near the end of the summer, he came and said to me, oh, I've got a sore, stiff shoulder. And um, you know, I said, well, John uh, suck it up. And uh, no, it wasn't quite like that, but, but, this was very close to the time he was leaving. So I said, well, you know, make sure you take a look at that, go see a therapist and at the school, he's going to prep school in the States at the time. And then uh, lo and behold, I get a call from his dad and he says, John's been injured and he's back in Montreal. So, um, I mean, John will explain this, this better. And, uh, 
you know, feel free to, to go as far as you'd like, John. But basically, John had an osteosarcoma in the scapula, in the spine of the scapula. So John was playing football, took a hit, and the scapula broke in half, or the spine broke off. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But when they x-rayed, they said, listen, you've got to go back home. This is very serious. And obviously, um, John began treatments. Uh, I think there was a dissection of the scapula with only the acromion uh, left. So, and of course, all the rotator cuff muscles attaching to the scapula, you know, are, are no longer functional. And, um, and so this was a huge, uh, you know, a huge thing. And I forget, forget playing sports, forget, uh, you know, this is a life in danger and you want to get through this, uh, this cancer. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, sarcoma is one of the most violent cancers. And I knew this from experience because my brother at the time uh, had a synovial sarcoma in his leg. He had a dissection of the adductor magnus um, and was receiving radiation and chemotherapy. And John and my brother actually had the same doctor. Mm. So, um, so immediately I put the two of them together. John was starting this journey. My brother was halfway through his journey and unfortunately lost his battle to, to cancer, metastasized to the lungs. So needless to say, I mean, I have shivers. I've, I've, mm. I've been having shivers for the past, you know, two minutes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, John is, is very dear to me in my heart because, you know, we immediately, well, we had a bond before, but, you know, this solidified. You know, mm. this was more than, it's not training for right. Uh, to be an athlete it's it's training it's it's being the best that you can be with what you've got you know so right. uh, so well why don't we pivot to to john and get the yeah. i want to go back because I, i've actually never heard the full story i've never heard you express what you went through and stuff we talked about it um more or less just clinically back in the day but so you know you're you're an avid sports guy you're trying to play football and you enjoy sport and you have cer- certain aspirations there so you finish that summer and you go off to prep prep school and you say to dave i got sore shoulder where does it go from there and, and how does all this go down and yeah well before i get into that i'll add a little bit more context uh, a little background to the story so mm-hmm. um father um ran a service station in in Dorval close to the airport and um Dave's father was uh one of his favorite customers because um every holiday season he'd come in with his little briefcase and they would have a uh, you know a Christmas drink and and so there was that connection there and um I had finished my first year of uh prep school and I was in a transition between um, between places where I trained, and I had been working with uh, Mark Lambert, who's with uh, the Lightning now, and he's uh, a great person. But uh, there was no room for me for that subsequent summer, so um, it was close to the end of the school year, and I distinctly remember my my father sending me, you know, a picture of it was a newspaper clipping from the Gazette that you know featured the work that uh, Dave was doing with. Uh, all of the athletes that he was training and amongst the many things I admire about Dave, he's extremely humble, but I'll brag for him. Pain station was, was biosteel before, you know, biosteel was a thing and, and, you know, had all of, you know, the top um, hockey players from, from the area. It was just a hub. It was, it was incredible. So, um, you know, 
making that made that decision for me, you know, in terms of places to train easy. Um, and you know, so there was that connection there and, um, you know, so I had a great tra- summer training with, with Dave and, and Ken and Kevin and Pete, mm-hmm. um, felt great going back into uh, training camp for football. And, um, you know, so there's one play during practice where I was blocking, you know, blocking a teammate and, you know, he just moved one way quickly and, um, you know, had a, had a pretty significant pain in my shoulder. So, um, ended up going for an exam with, um, our, our school didn't have an orthopedic, um, surgeon on staff. Um, so they sent all the students that needed extra, extra care, extra assessment, uh, to a neighboring town. And so I went for, went for an assessment, uh, with the doctor there and he recommended that I go for an MRI. Um, so I ended up going for an MRI and, um, you know, thought nothing of it. And, um, you know, one night, I think it was the same night, um, you know, that the day that I had the MRI, I get called up to the Dean of Students, uh, you know, office. So here I'm, I'm thinking I'm in trouble for something, you know, trying to figure out what I did and go up to the office. And, and she mentioned that, um, you know, you need to go back for another MRI. You know, they, they, they saw something on there, but they're not quite sure what it is. So, you know, it was confusing, scary, all of the above, but, you know, it never crossed my mind that it was going to be something significant. So I went in the next day and, you know, distinctly remember asking the technician, you know, what, you know, what was the reason why I had to go back because it was the same one. And, you know, she didn't really give me an answer. So that made me a little bit more nervous. And, you know, so later that afternoon, I got a call from my parents saying that, um, you know, I needed to come back home so that I could see a doctor in Montreal. And that's kind of really where it sunk in and, you know, went through a battery of testing. And that's when they, you know, they found the confirmed, you know, the tumor that was on my shoulder blade, as Dave mentioned. So, you know, it was definitely, you know, wake up call for sure. And, you know, sitting in the uh, oncologist's office, you know, being young, I was 18 at the time and naive, uh, you know, given me the news and, so right away I asked him, okay, well, when can I go back and play sports? And he kind of looked at me and almost laughed and said, you don't need to worry about sports. You need to, you need to worry about surviving this, you know, this treatment, you need to worry about living. So then that was, that was the wake up call. That was, you know, put things in perspective. And, um, right from the start, you know, Dave reached out and, you know, we started this journey together. And, you know, as he mentioned, he was, now he was there from day one and um, there was no hesitation whatsoever to, you know, provide support. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to meet, you know, Dave's brother, Mark, and, you know, we, we created a, a, a pretty good relationship and, and he was a fantastic, you know, support for me. And, you know, I can't thank him enough. Um, and, um, you know, from there it was, it was, you know, getting through, that part. And, um, my goal was always to go back and and to play sports and that's what kept me motivated. And even though the doctors were, you know, trying to manage my, my expectations, um, 
you know, Dave was, was always supportive of um, pushing in that direction and, and, you know, had a indelible impact on not only that time of my life, but continues to be, you know, such a positive role model for me and has had such a, such a tremendous impact. And right from there, I said, you know, if I can have that sort of impact on somebody else's life, the way that he's had on mine, then, you know, I'll have done something right. So that's essentially, you know, how I ended up where I'm at today in terms of choosing the career path that, um, you know, that I have. Well, we're going to impact some of that. But uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask David off the back of that is, what did you learn about life and about yourself through watching John fight this and your brother fight this? Um, You know, like that's a heck of an experience where somebody as close to you is going through this and you lose them. And then at the same time, this young fellow that you want, you care about is also going through something. So what did you learn about life and what did you learn about, you know, yourself through that? It was I was going from being an athlete where everything was about the passion in the sport and, you know, finding a way to be the best you can be to now training athletes to having this training studio. So John was actually training out of a a high school gymnasium that, uh, or not gymnasium, but weight room that I'd refurbished. And so I was figuring out a business model, you know, and then eventually I moved into a studio that we rented that was our, our permanent place and so i was trying to be a business person doing a thing that i was so passionate about and um i learned that you know i had no success as a business person you know i learned that really the things that get me going are what get my clients going what get my my people going because if i could be of any help or any service to anybody then that's really that fills my cup you know and um john made that real for me right from the get-go you know because i was training some pretty high level athletes that were had already lots of notoriety or they were on their way up and um i really didn't care about that and it brought quick success to pain station and, and our trainers and, and, and our, our stable of athletes, if you will. But um, here we had this real life experience where, you know, the stakes were much, much higher. You know, it wasn't about signing a contract or making a team or it was about living your life to the fullest. And, um, and, you know, the fact that my brother was going through it at the same time and John was, you know, John represented everything that was perfect in an athlete that needed to be perfect. Determination and drive to get to uh, a point where you need to get to. And um, and when you put it in that frame, you know, uh, as opposed to I have to do this, as opposed to I get to do this. So every day was a gift, you know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I called John early on. But I wouldn't call him every day. You know, I call him once a week, checking in. Okay, he's doing good. Call him two weeks later, checking in. Okay, because he's recovering from surgery. He's going through lots of things. And then he goes, "I think I'm going to go for a walk today around the block." 
you know, awesome. Well, okay, let me know how that goes because, you know, you know what the next thing is, you know, so he's walking around two blocks. And so we keep these updates and he goes, I think I'm going to go for, for a job. And I'd like to maybe get in and do a few stretches. So, I mean, I had no clue what we were going to end up doing, but he would come in and he'd slowly come in. This is all during chemo, by the way. And his, you know, the doctor said, you're not going to play sports. You're not even going to lift your hand above your head. You know, so we'd have this stick in the corner of the room. It was just like this broomstick. And we said, okay, well, let's prove him wrong. You know, let's prove him wrong. Or it didn't come from me. I said, John, what do you want to do? I want to prove him wrong. You know, so we'd lift a stick. You know, we go, okay, we'll find a way. Find a way. You, you, need, to, you need to overcome these challenges. And, um, you know, bit by bit, inch by inch, you know, the grind of an athlete, the grind of anybody wanting to, to move forward in life. Um, this is what was happening every day, you know, and, uh, and so for me, that became, you know, by far the huge, the most biggest success story for me out of all of pain station is John, you know, to be at the point where he is in his life today. Uh, there's a lot of great stories, but to me, this outweighs, uh, all of them, you know, and the fact that now he's helping other athletes, you know, and uh, and at the level he's doing it at, it's uh, truly amazing. Beautiful, John. How does um, how does your battles uh, inform the rest of your life to date? Like, what is it? What does it tell you about what you can do or can't do, and and how you're going to carry yourself forward from you know beating that challenge, so to speak. Well, I think it, it definitely puts things in perspective. You know, I, you know, even at a young age, you, you tend to look at life differently afterwards, right? You're going through that experience and, and, you know, going from one summer being in, in peak, you know, physical condition to, you know, barely being able to, you know, get up and down the stairs without, uh, you know, losing your breath. But, um, it definitely reinforced, you know, the, how much I value my family, my friends. I mean, my parents gave up so much and, and were there for me every step of the way. And, um, it was, it was so looking back at it now, so important, um, you know, what they did, my sister, um, just insulating me with, with support and distracting me in a way from what was going on. Right. Because it could have been very easy to, to get discouraged and, and to get, um, to get down. Um, but I, ne- I never, I never felt that way just because they were, they were always there for me. I never, never had the opportunity. And, um, like I said before, just the support that I had from, from Dave and from so many others. And I think the way that it's shaped me now is, um, you know, Dave alluded to it, just having the drive and and having the passion, um, to help people and to overcome limitations, um, to not get bogged down in, you know, the, the smaller things. And, you know, when, you have bad days just to just to keep things in, in perspective that it could always be worse and that there are people 
that are less fortunate than us that are going through a lot harder things than we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very, very lucky. So, um, you know, I, I have, I have my parents, I have my sister, I have my friends, I have Dave certainly to, to thank for that, to, you know, and showing me that, um, uh, how much, how far support can go and, um, you know, how important it is to, to be there, you know, when somebody needs you. Mm, awesome. So David, you, you know, one, at one point you finally, you say, I'm going to take you to see Scott Livingston and you call me up and I, I, I can remember the phone call and you kind of were like, got this young guy and he's had this thing happen and I'd like you to take a look at him and da, 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 da. And I remember meeting John and I was really impressed with him as a human being and, and what he wanted to try to accomplish. What made you believe that he could, what made both of you believe that you could play football again? <laughs> Because <laughs> for the listener, like basically John had his whole shoulder removed from his body and he basically had a bone of the of his arm hanging from the, his torso by the soft tissue. And so functionally, he shouldn't be able to lift his arm over his head, but he was going to do this and he was going to go back and play football. And, and, and indeed, well, I won't spoil the story, but he, maybe John, you tell the story and then David, you tell me what made you believe or that you should connect him with, with me in some sense. Yeah. So, well, maybe I'll start because I'm sure. the one who, who had the idea to say, because yeah. At one point, I'm thinking, you know, okay, all the passion, determination, and drive is there. You know, like, it's not coming from me. It's coming from John. Now, I can take him to a certain point, but I want him to see the best. So, (laughs) I brought him. I I said, John, we're going to go see Scott, who trains the Montreal Canadiens. And this lit John up because, you know, obviously, that being our team and, you know, you're an icon and... I don't know. John wasn't aware of the whole strength and conditioning and uh, in this whole field. So it was uh, an amazing moment because you're training uh, a lot of the pros from the Canadians in the summer. And this was, you know, summertime. And so it was ripe for many good things. One is to be surrounded by um, a new set of eyes, uh, you know, a professional at top of his game in the field um, around other great athletes. So just the positivity around that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the honest truth is we didn't know, or I didn't know if it could be done, but the will was there, you know, mm-hmm. so you could only take one step at a time, you know, and with will and passion and drive and, you know, a process, cause there was a process, um, you know, we, we worked it. So, I said, you know, it needs to get next level, you know, so, so that's where, that's where we wanted to see you. you that's know? awesome. And, uh, and so I'll let John. Well, what, John, what I want the listener to hear is not you blow smoke up my, you know what, but uh, to, to more or less, more or less sort of talk about that moment in terms of how it affected your belief in the possibilities and then how it sort of transcended into you deciding to go into athletic therapy and what you did off of the back of that. Yeah, no, I distinctly remember Dave suggesting that I, I go and see you and, and, you know, at the time I didn't really like I knew about athletic therapy. I, I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't know about it in depth. So I was going to do anything that Dave suggested, to be honest. I, like my, 
complete trust was in his hands. So, um, yeah, I remember, you know, showing up to your studio and just it being such an eye-opening experience. I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. And then, you know, seeing the athletes that you were training and the pictures up on the wall. And I was like, okay, well, this, this guy must be, must be pretty good. And then, you know, hearing the story about Saku Koivu, which, which at the time was, you know, he, he was going through a battle himself and to hear that you had worked with him. And, and I said, well, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take advantage of this resource. And then I got in your table and you tortured me for an hour. And that was my kind of first exposure to, you know, to, to therapy, so to speak. And, um, I, you know, I, I remember asking you at one point if I could grab a pillow to bite down on because I wasn't sure if I was going to cry or laugh or what. But uh, <laughs> anyways, after the hour was done, I remember, you know, moving my shoulder around and being like, yeah, this, this, this work, this is, this is good stuff. <laughs> and uh, no, it, what, what struck me the most was, you know, when we sat down for the intake and, you know, I mentioned that I wanted to, uh, you know, to come back and play, play sports, play football. There was never any doubt from, from you, Scotty. And you, you didn't try and convince me to maybe reconsider. It was like, okay, let's, let's do it. And it was, like I said, it was always the same thing with, uh, with Dave. And, you know, for me, it was something to, to keep me motivated to, you know, like a light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, that I could work towards and uh, get me through, you know, some of those longer days. Um, so after that experience and, and getting to know you, Scotty, it was just kind of a process of um, learning what athletic therapy was all about, number one, and then about what you did. And it was fascinating to me. So, you know, after, after that experience, you know, starting off working with Dave and just being, just being a sponge and, and, and being so fortunate to be in that environment surrounded by so many quality professionals. And as I mentioned at, at the start, you know, Ken Tran and, um, Sean Christensen, Peter Pasquini, uh, Dan Furlong, Derek Del Rocca, Matt Boulay as well. Just like so many quality people, first of all, but professionals. And I was so lucky to be influenced by, by all of them. Um, so that yeah, was like an inadvertent mentorship by committee, so to speak. So I, it, it was just this incredible transition of being trained by all of these, you know, unbelievable, um, strength coaches and then working with them mm-hmm. wow. and learning. Cool. Yeah. So, cool. so just, uh, to, to be clear, John actually became a pain station trainer. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and, uh, you know, not the t-shirt, by the way, I should have yeah, still got the t-shirt to prove it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> trained, uh, Dave Jackson, uh, NHL, uh, NHL, uh, referee, yeah. referee and uh, worked with a, a bunch of our clients and no one ever knew whatever happened to John before, you know, it wasn't noticeable. John mm-hmm. was, you know, and I, I think to this day, I don't think many athletes know, you know, uh, John is incredibly humble himself. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's pretty incredible too. Um, well, and we did get you back to, you played, right. As I remember, you played a little bit of ball again before playing. And it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was funny because it, 
I had to get a note from my doctor in Montreal to say it was okay that I understood the uh, the consequences of um, you know potential re-injury and you know at the beginning of the treatments they put in um, it's called a portacath uh, so it's it's a portable catheter that they put in your chest and and that's where all of the IVs get installed because you're you're getting you know, treatment so often that they don't want to, you know, for the lack of better words, burn your, you know, burn your veins. Um, and they're supposed to leave it in, I think after you're done treatments for, I want to say four to six months. And, uh, I had to get special permission to take that out before, you know, I went and played football because otherwise it would cause some serious damage getting, um, you know, getting, getting hit. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, um, I had the support of the doctors at the school, a coach, um, you know, whose, whose name is Todd Marble. And I'll never forget, like he, the day of my surgery, he came down and he was the, you know, the first person that I saw when I opened my eyes after the surgery. So mm-hmm. I still talk to him this day. And, you know, I, I can't say, I can't emphasize enough how much support I had, not, not just from family and friends, but from the school, from just from everybody. And, and that, you know, that made the world of difference. So. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Where I want to pivot off of this is, um, is kind of the, um, I wouldn't call it the lesson, but the, the provision to the listener around this idea of, um, giving versus taking and what you guys are about in your lives and to some degree what what all of us are about but um, there's there's this thematic there's always been this thematic in you Dave that you want you want to see um, what you can do to help other people achieve what they want to achieve and I have that same sort of sense I, I don't consider myself to be as as quality giving as you are, but uh, I think you have a very deep passion for that. And then uh, obviously John has gone into a career that is that giving centric in essence, uh, that's part of being an athletic therapist, and strength coach. So what it is about that? I want to hear from you. And then from, uh, from John, what is it about giving and seeing somebody else flourish that really um, floats your boat, so to speak? Quick break here. And we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. The reconditioning process is powerful, it's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro Series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free five hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab prevention and performance training business. Call them at one 866 2 isofit 
I-S-O-P-H-I-T, and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional, with over 500 products that cater to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. But they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Yeah, we've heard all the studies saying, you know, when you do something kind to somebody, they receive a rush of endorphins, you know, but it's true that you receive a rush of endorphins yourself, you know, and and I've been teaching Taekwondo since, you know, I was 19 years old. And um, that's really where it started for me because if I taught 10 people, you know, they'd receive a rush of endorphins and I would receive 10 doses you know, because, and then you walk away from that session and you're thinking about Jimmy and Sarah and Liam and this person and that person, and they really shape your life. You know, the, the problems you're trying to, the puzzle you're trying to put together for the class and the group and the people that are, are there. You know, some athlete comes and says, I want to be faster. I want to be stronger. I want to be this and I want to be that. And you have a certain life experience and you have a certain, from a professional side, you can give some, some advice and help them out and, you know, get them on it. You're getting them at a moment in their journey where you can help them. Um, And for me, it gives me just as much satisfaction, you know, to help somebody then I would imagine that the satisfaction that they receive. And obviously, the more they're happy with the, the result, well, the more that you're happy with, uh, with the giving that you've, you've given. And, you know, there's, there's many forms of giving, um, but the ones that, you know, where you can really participate in, in a person's journey um, is, is the most meaningful to me. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, so really that's what gets me uh, going and uh, it's really a simple formula you know Very, the more yeah. you give the more you receive it's awesome and John what's uh, where are you on that sort of spectrum at this point in your life yeah. I think Dave put it so well um, you know the one of the main reasons that I'm in the field that I am is um, you know because I enjoy creating relationships and, you know, getting to know the people that I'm work, working with, you know, be it athletes, colleagues, and getting to know their story and being a part of their story and helping them um, along their journey, it is so fulfilling. Um, you know, whether it be big or small, whatever it is, um, if you can have some sort of impact, um, uh, I think that's, to me, that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And, I also and, think you you know oh go ahead John I was just say um, you know that's to me that's the essence of 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 you Dave you know and very early on I saw it, it you know it was palpable 
why you were doing what you were doing. And, and it is to this day, um, it's, it's the essence of, of why you are who you are. Um, and the work that you do with your foundation is just, uh, you know, a culmination of that. Thank you, John. Um, the other thing too is, you know, we help people on their journey, but they're also on our journey. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I learn as much, if not more, from my clients than I do in whether they're four years old or 74 years old. You know, uh, there's as much to get and to give and to receive. Um, and it's really important for me that everybody that are in the same space together, uh, there's a very inclusive approach. There's a, a real um, process of there being an equitable opportunity for everybody to reach their max yeah, or to reach their full potential as an individual. So for an athlete who's just trying to make a college team versus an athlete who's trying to sign a 10-year deal at $88 million, you know, they're both... There's not one person who's more important than the other person. That is, you know, absolutely true. Um, and there's no we. There's no one person of greater value than another person. And therefore, if we look at it that way, then everybody has something to give to everybody else. You know, and if if you're open to that, you know, if you put on your A game for the, you know, big. Uh, athlete and you reserve the least energy for for the developing athlete I think you've missed the point you know so um, I think that you know working having the privilege to work with people regardless of what field or where you are it's really give the best of yourself and you'll get the best in return beautiful I want to ask both of you in different ways. Um, I just finished reading this book uh, called Grit, and it's um, basically about the idea of passion slash purpose and persistence. And, uh, you know, you guys um, epitomize both of those things and having a, a significant grit capacity. But I want to ask you from the perspective of the athletes you've worked with and what you've experienced in your careers so far, do you feel like you've, you know, you've run into talented athletes, David, you worked with one of Canada's wealthiest people and what they did in their career and stuff. And what have you noticed about those who are successful? And I preface the word successful, not in the, the sense that they make lots of money, but that they've done what they love to do and, and, and succeeded at it and created legacy in it. What have you guys noticed about that um, that are sort of the recipe or elements of it that, that you think are really important for people to make those kinds of achievements happen? And maybe you can start John and then I'll come back to Dave because he's, mm-hmm. he's worked with a, a lot of peeps, but now that some of the athletes you work with, what do you see in the, in the guys or the gals that really, make a difference and an undenying unrelenting passion to continuously get better to improve and and that may look different in in different athletes but to me that's that's the commonality Hmm. very cool dave 
I, I couldn't agree more. I'd say a true dedication to their craft, their art. Um, they see themselves in that, and that's you know them in their purest form um, at their best. I also see people who are quite imbalanced as well. Mm. So very hard to be top of your game in one thing, but not you know in the top of the game of your game in everything. Mm-hmm. So I see in these people, um, you know, a lack of balance, maybe some other areas in their life that uh, they struggle with. And, um, and that's typically where I come in <laughs> or, or where I came in in my career is, mm-hmm. is more like, okay, you're, you're incredibly talented. And I realized, you know, the reason I stopped pain station was because I felt like my work could be put to better use in other places. There were young trainers that, you know, you've done such a good job, Scotty, of building up the training community in Montreal that there was no need for me anymore. (laughs) No, but but seriously, um, you know, I started, there was no CrossFit. There was no, you know, there weren't many training studios or training centers for athletes. Um, by the time, you know, it was coming to like its 13th year or something, Fan Station, you know, there were many amazing trainers up there. And, um, I felt like, you know, uh, this is a good time to, to try to explore and do something else. But in terms of, you know, these top performing athletes, I feel a lot of them will get to that level you know, regardless of who's training them. Now, of course, you can, you'll give them a better chance. They'll be, you know, less injured. They'll be, you know, they'll, they'll perform better. But a lot of these athletes, these top, top athletes, I mean, um, have the drive and determination and you see it from a very young age. Hmm. Um, however, you know, I, I do try to encourage that they have a, a better balance in their life. You know, Very and, cool. uh, and so, yeah, we look at them for their success, but we also need to be there for them like we are for every other athlete. It's, it's very easy to look at, you know, a client that's making um, records and, and uh, you know, achieving this huge success. But it's another thing to be able to tell them, hey, well, don't you think you're overdoing it there? And, you know. Uh, calm your ego down that there's a child here in the corner that could use your help and uh you know make them uh, put their head up a little bit and and see the world around them and and i think you know we're getting there mm-hmm. but uh the culture is is definitely changing well i want to unpack um it's kind of like both ends of the spectrum here we have and you've played in both of them dave but um i'm kind of interested for the listener to sort of hear the 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 um, little gems that, or golden nuggets that can be taken out of where we're, where I'm going to go with this. And, and that is that um, you now have, have stewarded um, a, a foundation, which is called champions for life, which is really about taking young people and introducing them to physical literacy and letting them have all the tools to be successful as an athlete, which whether they have success as an athlete or as a human being, it gives them those tools to use as they grow older and that they hopefully stay in sport and stay active. And John, you've sort of um, 
played off the back of some of the things that I, I believe in. And now you're at the highest levels of performance sport where you're fixing and repairing maybe things that weren't done well earlier in, in this athlete's career. And so I'm kind of interested on your perspective, Dave, on maybe for the listener, what are some of the things we're still not doing or we need to do better or we can steward better from the perspective of making sure our young people are prepared to do what they need to do? And then I'm going to flip it back to John and say, what are you running into a lot that you think people like Dave um, can help change moving forward? So, Thanks, uh, Scotty. Just to be clear, we're working with four to eight-year-old children, and these are not athletes. Um, these are children that are growing up in every community, uh, in every city, in every you know rural place uh, around the country or around the world. And um, the only reason the foundation exists is because there's not enough physical education. Mm-hmm. Um, physical education is about three things. One is learning to move well in various contexts. The other is how we socialize and organize ourselves around movement. So organize a sport, organize a, uh, a, um, a hike, and you know the whole positive aspects about being together and doing those things, sportsmanship and so on. And the last thing is incorporating these things in an active and healthy lifestyle. This is what our physical education systems are supposed to do. But they're failing because there's not enough of it. Mm-hmm. And we're not focused enough on these three basic things. And we, you know, as children grow older, there's kind of a funnel where the ones that perform well are sucked through this funnel and put into sports teams and start performing in their sports and compete way too young and build up the success. And you've got this system of elimination, you know, this is, a, this is a good athlete. He's going to play this sport or, you know. And, of course, when you're good, you're motivated by your wins and moving forward and being selected for teams. And But what does the rest of the 90% of the population do? They, it's, the rest say, well, I'm not an athlete, therefore I will not be physically active. Mm. You know, they, it, physical activity becomes synonymous with sport. So what I'm trying to do is say, well, physical literacy, it's not my term. It's a term that, you know, it's from uh, Margaret Whitehead, and it, this has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Canadian Sport for Life and Active for Life and many uh, international organizations uh, are, you know, really using physical literacy as a vehicle to say that, you know, one, it's how we move, the movement competency, the confidence that comes with that the motivation to then move because you're confident and this circle of it being part of an active and healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That's really what the same as literacy does. We learn words, phrases to give, you know, to be able to express ourselves. But at the ultimate level, it really is about self-expression. So the more literate you are, the more you can, express yourself in this world and the more you can interpret whether other other people are telling you Mm. so in a physical literacy context well how great is that if i can ski and skate and swim and you know dribble and kick and so if i can do all these things not necessarily in, in a competitive way 
well, there's a heck of a better chance that I'll be physically active. And that's where we're missing the mark. Mm -hmm. So the program really is a Band-Aid, you know, to try to be able to build something big enough to have an influence on our governments and our systems to say, let's help these children have success so that they can be physically active in their lives. And the ones that will have athletic success are going to push themselves all the way up to the top. Mm-hmm. And there'll be trainers and there'll be professionals along the way to help them get there. But it's what we do with the rest of the population. And we need to educate ourselves, our children. We need to support them. We need it to be inclusive. Children with disabilities, uh, physical or cognitive, uh, children from different communities, children, you know, immigrants, girls as much as boys. There's no reason that girls and, and boys can't be just as physically active and do all the same physical activities together um, and so on. So, awesome. so that's, uh, that's our mission. And really our mission is to be able to share it with everybody, collaborate with all the organizations and really promote, you know, there's no reason children are in school five days a week. And there's no reason they can't do at least an hour of structured physical education which has the goals and has the curriculum and has teachers that are trained for four years in a degree to help them be physically active for their lives so the program lasts from kindergarten all the way up to university so let's do it there you the man brother you're making it happen i'm proud of you so thank you for making that happen and stewarding that and off the back of that, uh, as I said, John, like what have, you know, in working um, in the National Hockey League, you know, and I, I have my own answer to this, but I'd rather hear yours. Like, what are you running into that you you see as physical literacy elements that maybe we're, you know, are, are we're not doing well enough with our kids today that even at the greatest le- player levels? Well, just to piggyback off of what Dave mentioned, I think the number one priority for, you know, adolescents developing, um, you know, children should be, uh, you know, physical literacy, physical education, um, and developing habits that, you know, better serve them later on in life so that they can enjoy an active lifestyle. Um, so at the professional level, you know, more and more over the years. So I've been working in professional hockey now for, let's say, 12 years. Increasingly, um, we see young men that are uh, being drafted that have already had um, significant injuries, um, that have had surgeries, that have uh, chronic issues that, you know, maybe in the past we weren't seeing until, you know, they were older, you know, mid twenties or thirties. Um, so I think, you know, now from an, an early age, uh, there's way too much emphasis being placed on early specialization. So, you know, kids are playing hockey year round. And, and as you know, um, from a developmental standpoint, um, is, is maybe not, uh, is definitely not the, the, the best thing to be exposed to the same type movements all the time. Um, uh, that on top of the fact that uh, 
there's way more emphasis now that's being placed on strength training. So doing so off of perhaps a, a, a poor foundation for movement, um, you know, where kids are, are being forced from a young age to, you know, to commit to either playing junior or going to college. And they've got to make decisions when they're, you know, 14, 15, as opposed to, um, you know, taking the summer off and playing soccer or playing golf or biking, you know, and enjoying some other, you know, hobbies, pastimes that, um, you know, would help develop their physical literacy. So, you know, that, that on top of the fact that the, the rules and the, and the framework of, of, you know, hockey has changed in that, uh, there are a lot more younger players now that are, you know, making teams right out of junior or college. So that reinforces what I mentioned before is the emphasis on being bigger, faster, stronger from a young age, as opposed to being well-rounded, you know, and they have a chance from the time that they're 18 years old um, of, of earning a significant uh, contract. Um, so that, that just compounds, um, you know, what we're, what I mentioned, what we're talking about before, what Dave mentioned. So, um, it, it, it certainly makes our jobs, um, a little bit more difficult in that, that we're almost behind the eight ball from, from the get go, but, you know, from our perspective also makes things interesting at the same time, because we have these puzzles that we need to help kind of put together as a team right from the start. And otherwise, um, unfortunately, sometimes what happens is that, you know, careers get derailed or, you know, a certain level of performance is not achieved because there's inhibitors to, you know, performance, whether it be through chronic injury or, or whatnot. So, um, you know, that, that's both uh, frustrating, but the, the interesting and the challenging side to the, you know, to the profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We like sorting out the puzzle, but uh, we wish the puzzle wasn't there to sort out sometimes. And I just have to say as well that, you know, we're talking about the body, you know, and uh, the effects on the mind as well from a young Mm -hmm. age, maybe leaving the house at the age of 14 and starting to, play and perform and have to perform and all the stress and you know we see a dramatic or, or or harsh effects on that you know mm-hmm. go down to uh you know how do uh, athletes compensate you know mm-hmm. through substance abuse or through other forms of uh of, of distractions that aren't uh that are great to develop an individual, you know, and a lot of these people are pulling their lives together between the age of 35 and 45. And really you don't want to have to do that. And, uh, an athlete that I love to mention a lot is one that you worked with, uh, Scotty, um, is, uh, Alex Bilodeau. Mm. You know, uh, I saw him in his first evaluation with you. And I think John was was probably around at the time, too, where he was doing a functional movement screen. And he already had lots of skills, but you could see right away your mind working and saying, okay, we can work this, work that, work that. From the get-go, he was taken in, uh, had a good base, good support, 
um, B210 did a fantastic job, you know, giving lots of resources as well. And with you uh, kind of at the helm and, and helping them develop physically, you know, this person did two Olympics, had great success, retired young, still very much physically intact, finished school, has a career, has, you know, like, mm-hmm. so throughout his life journey, this was a high point for his athletic journey, you know. Mm-hmm. So now he's living another high point in in other ways, you know. So we've got to be very very careful when we are with these athletes. You know, there's a a sense of how much influence that we can have. And, you know, it's like that saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Sometimes these these, uh, kids, you know, 18, 19 years old, are given so much power, they cannot control this, you know. And they're influenced by so many people and, and so many people that don't necessarily know how to manage this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think parents are pretty, particularly well equipped for this. And, you know, sometimes there's people around them with ne- nefarious uh, objectives as well. So, you know, we've got to be careful, uh, you know, and, and responsible and, you know, just keep our eyes open, you know, to, mm-hmm. to how we're helping these people. That's an awesome way to sort of circle back on this whole thing. I think, um, you know, I wanted to get together with you guys and just talk about, you know, our mutual histories and then what, how that has transcended into the work that we do. And you guys are both doing fabulous work in the different domains that you're in. And I wish you both the best and uh, hopefully we keep bouncing into each other and next time, hopefully live instead of uh, in this virtual reality thing that we do quite often now. Uh, maybe in Dave's sauna. Who knows? We'll, we'll have to do there a little, uh, sauna sauna hot tub session over at the Arsenault household. Awesome. Um, Literally a hot stove, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for taking the time today. It's been uh, great. For I think the listeners had lots of great takeaways uh, about human nature and human character. And you guys are two fantastic characters for people to emulate and thanks for doing what you do every day so and thanks for coming on the show thank you very much scotty you continue to be an inspiration uh love you brother you too uh john you guys uh keep doing the the awesome work you're doing and thanks for this opportunity and i enjoy every uh, you know podcast that i listen to uh i believe your mark so keep that going it's it's truly amazing thank you sir I appreciate this, guys. It was uh, awesome catching up with you both. And I appreciate uh, everything that uh, both of you guys have, have, have done for me and continue to do for me. And, and uh, I, uh, I admire the work that you're both currently doing. So, You know, we'll have to do a road trip down to watch a game, Dave. That's what we should do. Let's you do and that. I go to Toronto and watch a game. That should be, that would be fun. Just, uh, just abs jersey at home, Scotty. <laughs> I'll, I'll do uh, i'll bring something else then you know to to to, to annoy you somehow <laughs> well, there's my leaf hat thank you guys all right guys thank you have a great day take care later thanks for joining us today on leave your mark i hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day.
Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>